0: Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand, and we would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels.
1: So first, I, I should mention this because I think it's funny. I called my mom this week to see if she wanted to come into the chapel to watch the service. She lives just down the road from me, and and I said, "Mom, the number of people that are coming to the service is increasing." I said you need to reserve and this is on Monday and I said "Do you want me to reserve your spot for you and she sort of hemmed and hawed and uh, finally she said well talk to me tomorrow so I called her back Tuesday she said to me John Sunday night is the Oscars so so I, I I guess I knew where my place was and so thank you for watching us instead of the Oscars um so I appreciate it. Nicole Vicky. after I told her that story, said that I should paint myself gold and should just stand very, very still during my sermon and maybe my mother would come, which I thought was funny. Um, Anyway, it's nice to have you. It's nice to be with you. Uh, I don't have much of a green thumb. Most of my farming street cred that I have, which I guess technically would make it uh, field cred, not street cred, comes from my dad's side of the family. You see, my dad's dad, my grandfather, moved to Longmont, Colorado from Pratt, Kansas, and he bought a farm. And that farm is located uh, just across the street from where Seagate is today in Longmont, if anyone sort of knows that area. Uh, And my dad was actually born on that farm. But about the only planting that I do is planting a garden and pulling weeds. And some of you may be watching and saying, John, you have two kids, don't you? Why don't you make them do it? Well, my kids are even one further generation removed from the green thumb. At our Easter service earlier this year, I talked about how I stumbled upon a photo of my son, Grant, who was maybe three or four years old at the time. And he was helping us plant a garden. And Grant had just planted seed in the in the planter and was literally just waiting there eagerly expecting the seeds to sprout right in front of him Uh, it was it's really really cute but i also have to say that that's the most yard work that he has done since that date today though i'm gonna go back to my family's roots and the pun there is intended and we're going to talk about seeds Specifically, we're going to talk about Jesus' seed parables. And they're in Matthew chapter 13, as Paula mentioned earlier, where we have back-to-back-to-back parables about seeds. But first, we've talked in the past about how important numerology and numbers were in the Jewish worldview and we've talked about it before, but the Gospel of Matthew has been, was written primarily for a Jewish audience. And you could contrast that with the Gospel of Luke, which is written primarily for Gentiles. And Matthew's version of Jesus' story has five main parts, and there's a reason for that. It's because in the, he was writing to a Jewish audience, and at the center of the Jewish world is the Torah. And the Torah is comprised of five books. So the Jewish audience, I think, would have connected to that, would have seen this, and would have linked the Torah potentially to Jesus. And they would have asked themselves, huh, maybe Jesus has come to fulfill the law. Well, the seed parables that we're gonna talk about today are right smack dab in the middle of Matthew's story. They're in part three of the five arcs. So it's as if Matthew says to the audience, now, the part I'm going to tell you about Jesus right now, this is at the core of his story. This is the center of the story. This is the, this is, this is the meat. This is the message. This is the piece that you need to go away with. And I truly believe that what we're going to talk about today is the heart of the story of Jesus. Jesus. It's the central message in the gospel. And I believe that it's not talked about enough in churches. So, generally speaking, so stick with me. So in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gathers a large crowd. And Jesus is sitting in a boat just off the shore. And the crowds are gathering in a semicircle around him on the shore. And here's an important point. The crowd that's surrounding Jesus, who again is just off the shore on a boat, they were comprised of real people with real hopes, with real dreams, real beliefs and real disappointments. They're not cardboard cutouts of people, like as sometimes I I sort of think, think of them as. And this crowd had expectations about Jesus and what Jesus is going to do in the world crowd was, had been kicked around for years and years and years because their land, Israel, was right smack dab in the middle of three separate continents. And the Israelites had been conquered by the Egyptians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans. They were used to being kicked around. They were used to being oppressed and this crowd of people had heard the prophets of the Hebrew Bible say, it's not gonna be like this forever. And that God is gonna act on their behalf. And many of them believed that God would act in a way that would enable them to overcome their oppressors from a military perspective. And then, and then that they would be raised to their proper place as kings on their own land. That was the expectation of the crowd. That was the expectancy of the people that were listening to Jesus. And Jesus is gonna get up and he's gonna talk about seeds and planting. And, and this is an important point, seeds and planting were often tied to the new order that was going to come after God vanquished Israel's enemies. So if you're in the crowd, And Jesus starts talking about seeds and planting. Well, that's going to, your ears are going to perk up, right? It's going to create an increased expectancy about this is going to, that Jesus is going to now call a military victory and we're going to overcome our oppressors. And you can see sort of this seed and plant metaphor in Isaiah 65, where in Isaiah 65, it talks about a new earth where sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more, as they will build houses and dwell in them. They will finally plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones, chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. So you notice that the reference to planting and finally being able to raise the Israelites' own fruit and vegetables without it going to their oppressors and finally being able to enjoy the work and the benefits of their work in the fields. So seeds a crop were a really central way that that the Israelites talked about what was going to happen when they finally overcame their adversaries So you can imagine, Jesus starts to get up to talk about planting and seeds. And again, their ears perk up and there's an expectancy. And maybe they lean forward because they think God is about ready to act. It might be time for a military revolution. The crowd might be getting very, very excited. So that's the background. We'll now turn to the parables. The first is the parable of the farmer sowing seeds. It's in Matthew 13, verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Others fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came out, The plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds still fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, so this parable is about some seeds that fall to the ground, and some seeds grow, and some seeds don't grow. But I'm more interested in how the crowd reacted to the story of the parable because there was definitely an expectancy going in. But this seed parable does not imply military revolution. Instead, it just says that sometimes seeds are gonna grow and sometimes they won't. And the crowd responded with crickets. So much so, in fact, that the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus answered and responded with a callback of his own to the book of Isaiah, where he said, though seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So some people will see, some people will hear, but others won't. Okay, the second parable. It's verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, do you want us to go ahead and pull the weeds? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvester, first collect the weed and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. Okay, so it's a note. Let the weeds grow together with the wheat, kind of story. No sense in pulling weeds because we may accidentally pull the wheat. And then the third parable about seeds is in verse 31. And Paula talked about this parable a little bit last week. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So I guess the message here is the kingdom of God is bigger than we know. So first thing, the kingdom of God is not, the kingdom that Jesus is speaking about is not the kingdom that the audience was expecting, one that would be obtained through a military revolution. The audience is looking for and expecting one thing, God showing up and wiping out Israel's enemies. And Jesus is finally now gonna talk about planting and seeds. And this is starting to get exciting. But then we hear Jesus's stories, her parables, and they're actually about the fact that sometimes seeds just don't grow. That we need to reflect God's kingdom outwardly by being good soil for the seeds. That we need to wait for things to grow before we take out the weeds. We need to wait for the mustard seed to grow so birds can perch in its branches. That's not justice. That's not what we're waiting for. Frankly, that's a little boring. I mean, God is going to show up and take out our enemies, right? But instead of God acting decisively, in these parables, God talks about a different kind of kingdom. One that requires patience. You're supposed to pull up the weeds. Nope, God's gonna let them grow with the wheat. Instead of getting immediate results, God plants. The kingdom that Jesus talks about isn't what the disciples were expecting. Instead of a kingdom obtained via military revolution, instead of a kingdom built on military power and top-down force, it's an upside-down revolution. What we see in the very mysterious nature of these stories is that the kingdom of God and the kingdom that Jesus speaks of is first and foremost, a reality to be experienced. It's not a conquering hero, defeating his enemies. Instead, the kingdom of God is where people need to slow down, wait for the seeds to grow and listen with new ears. That's why when Jesus says, let the ones who have ears hear, some will hear it and some won't. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that needs to be experienced. That's where the meaning comes from. It's based on the idea that God has invaded the world and called out a people to live their lives marked by love, compassion and acceptance the kingdom is something to be experienced. This, friends, undercuts the expectancy of the audience that was listening to these parables. You know, a couple years ago, my family took a trip to London. And one of the favorite places to visit in London is the Tate Modern, which is a modern art gallery that's in an old power station along the south banks of the River Thames. And the modern art in the Tate can be trippy. It can be weird, it can be obscene, it can be nonsensical, but it's awesome, right? There's some crazy stuff there. One of the galleries in the Tate is dedicated to an artist named Mark Rothko. Mark Rothko's style has been called Color Field, which is a fancy way of saying that he painted rectangles of color on a canvas. And I'd previously seen some of Mark Rothko's artwork, and I always sort of laughed at him. I thought, hey, anybody could do this. Any kid could do this. And I actually wondered what would happen if a kid produced the artwork, produced artwork, sent it to a gallery or sent it to a jury competition, said it was a Mark Rothko, would the audience or the jury even know? Mark Rothko's art, unsurprisingly, Um, was based on children's art, and he greatly admired children's art. He worked as an art teacher at the Brooklyn Jewish Center for over 20 years, and he taught that art was all about expression and meaning. And he strongly believed that every single child could be a brilliant artist, because they were so used to expressing themselves and their feelings and their creativity with their artwork. But he despised teachers, and he despised academic training for artists, because he thought that they sucked the soul of creativity out of kids. Anyway, back to the Tate Modern. We laughed our way through much of the museum. Uh, My family's favorite exhibit was called Turds on the Floor. But we entered the Rothko Gallery and I had an emotional reaction to his artwork. It was surreal. I was standing in front of a giant canvas, and most of Rothko's art is giant. It would fill up an entire wall. And I was looking at the art of someone who I previously had made fun of, and I was emotional, and I couldn't explain why. And the rectangles that I was staring at suddenly started to move. And the painting almost had a light at the center of the painting that caused them to shimmer. It's almost like the painting started to vibrate. Now, later, I learned that Rothko's technique, uh, that Rothko's work pulsates because he uses a special technique to create it, where he uses brightly defined boundaries between colors to create depth and movement. But at the time, I don't know, I was just moved by the experience of viewing this artwork. Looking back at it, the viewing experience helped me to almost dissolve into Rothko's work and to feel almost a spiritual experience with the painting. For me, I had to experience Rothko's artwork to understand it. You know, the kingdom that Jesus speaks of in these parables is first and foremost a reality that needs to be experienced. Again, the kingdom that Jesus speaks of is first and foremost a reality that needs to be experienced. And this is decidedly different than the expectancy that his audience had at the time they were listening to him. So you can write about the kingdom of God. You can talk about it. You can describe it. But that's like trying to put words on a piece of art that you haven't seen. Or that's like trying to to describe uh, pet sounds or the White Album or whatever your favorite a musical album is to someone who's never heard music before. Are you with me? Now, the word parable is literally translated as to place beside. So when it says Jesus tra- uh, told parables, Jesus told stories and he placed those stories besides the actual beside the actual experience of the kingdom of God. And he said, you wanna know what the kingdom of God is like? Well, it's like trying to describe art without seeing it or music without hearing it. But I can sort of tell you what it's like. It's sort of similar to this or sort of like that. The kingdom, as Jesus described in these parables, is not what Jesus's audience expected. They wanted a military revolution. They wanted a coup. But the revolution here is that the kingdom of God is a reality that needs to be experienced in the midst of all the tension that we feel. And we all feel tension. But the kingdom that Jesus speaks about is that we are to experience more and more and more and more of God's peace and love and joy and grace right now. So stop putting your joy off. Don't wait to have peace until that one thing happens. Don't wait to experience joy until that one thing gets fixed. Because Jesus brings peace and joy and love. And in the midst of turmoil, speaks of a seed that is planted and that can grow and grow and grow. We need to trust the seed Jesus speaks of a reality that transcends whatever circumstances you may find yourself in. Everything is in turmoil, yet in some strange way, you have a grounding, a centering, because you know that you're gonna be just fine. And you will be just fine. So trust that seed. Even when everything is falling apart, if during that time when things are falling apart, you can still feel the peace Or the joy, trust that joy. Trust that glimpse of something so still and calm. Trust it. That's why Jesus uses the metaphor of a seed. A seed grows, a seed expands, can take over. And at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is on the cross. And what is he doing? He's forgiving others. In a moment, he's alone and it's dark, and it's scary, and he's been abandoned. What is he doing in that moment? Well, he's being a channel of a divine, forgiving love. That's what a seed can grow into. And that's the good news, friends, for all of us, and for always. Let's pray. God, I ask for each person listening that you meet, meet us, not with words or explanations, not with theology, but with an experience, with a sight, with a sound, a hearing that reminds us of your kingdom, where it is peace and stillness and love and joy. We listen and watch for your spirit where that kind of movement lives that speaks to us the good news that we all long to hear. We bring before you all the toil, the work, the sweat, all the ways we try to earn and accomplish and achieve. But help us to remember that Jesus insists that the peace, the joy is within and is present and is now available. Please rescue us from any religion or spirituality that says the kingdom is over that mountain, is across that sea, or is it at a distance. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here have any questions about left hand church or this teaching please email me at john at Lefthandchurch.org. you can also tune into our live stream services on our church facebook page every sunday at 5 p.m mountain for great music and original teachings thank you for joining us